This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, I'm your inner dream monologue, and you're fast asleep, so I'll be quick. Great job using the Colgate Optic White Overnight Teeth Whitening Pen before bed. When used as directed, it gives you a visibly whiter smile in just seven days. So while I fly and talk to animals, you're removing teeth stains with ease. Sweet dreams. And when you wake up, keep on living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. Hey, movie lovers. Welcome back for another Anatomy of Movie here at Popcorn Talk. Today, we talk about Viola Davis in the latest Steve McQueen movie, Widows. Stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now. Here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Strap in as we talk about the heist film that is Widows. I have Marissa Serafini. Hello, everyone. And joining us again, if you have been following Anatomy of a Movie, we have Mina Wahab. Hey. Hello. Missing action today, we have Dimitri Panos, but he will be back post-Thanksgiving. I'm your other host, Phil Svitek. Excited to be here. A couple things to note. First off, welcome to you. Thank you for joining us. We appreciate you taking the time out of your day to join us. If you're seeing us for the very first time, a couple things to note. Number one, we aren't just a movie review show. Of course, we'll talk about the movie and give our opinions and talk about the storylines, but we'll also go a little bit more in depth. Um, we'll go beyond just the, you know, did we like it, did we not? We'll talk about the how and the why and the production process. And, of course, talk about the, the numbers, the box office, and so forth, and the reception. So just kind of based on that description, at this point, we've assume, assumed that you've seen the movie. Therefore, it is going to be spoiler-filled. So warning right there. And thirdly, last but not least, if you want to follow along, we do have our notes in the description for you. It's a little PDF link that you can click on, follow along, because, of course, we're going to try to parse out a lot of this information, but we're not always going to get to everything. So that kind of rounds out things. And last but not least, you, of course, can comment along, let us know your thoughts and opinions, because as much as we love conversing, you complete us. (laughs) But before we can complete anything, we must begin. So let's begin with overall thoughts. Uh, So overall, I did actually enjoy the film for what it was. Um, You know, directed by Stephen Queen, and we covered his 12 Years of Slave years ago, Dimitri and I. Um back when we were in the house and it so going off of like that's really the only steve mcqueen film that i've seen and that's that movie was so long and i had issues with pacing and i just went into this film thinking it's going to be another long slow paced film sure enough it was it bothered me it really did because we got from like point a to point b to point c but within weeks of each other, they're like, one thing happened, one week later passed, another thing happened, and oh my god, it felt like weeks watching this film. So I, my issue was pacing and how long things took to get done. Um, performances, great. Storyline, actually pretty good. Pacing, uh-huh. meh. My uh-huh. goodness, so many times I wanted to look at the clock and say, well, how long has this been? Okay, fair enough. Yeah, Yeah, I'd have to disagree on that, actually. I thought the pacing was perfect, and the only reason I say that is because I felt like they took a lot of time establishing each character, and the whole time you're thinking, okay, obviously these characters are linked to each other in some way, and we don't know what way that is yet, so we see Jamal in the congregation, we see Viola Davis's character, and then we see the other widows, and we finally see everything coming together so beautifully, so I feel like there was like a lot of emphasis on character development, and I love that, because we get to really understand each character's story, um, and see how everyone is related to each other. I thought it was very well done. The performances were incredible. Um, I thought it was action-packed as well. Um, and I, I don't know. There, I don't really have a lot of complaints about right. the film. I really, really liked it. You're, I mean, that's good. You, you know, the point of this is not to necessarily have complaints. You know, it's if you do, say them. But the fact that you don't, that's great. 
Um, for me, I would say it's a good movie. It's not a great movie. And the only thing that prevents it from being the movie that I really wanted is, is a little bit of the ending. Um, I thought it could have been a little bit stronger. We, you know, uh, again, spoiler warning. So uh, now I'm just going to kind of state it and we can talk about it. Um, the husband, we knew that he was alive. And so when he comes back at the end, Obviously, it's not that much of a shocker, mm-hmm. um, and ironically, it's not much of a shocker for her either because she knew you know, she was smart enough to pick that up um, in that scene, same as we did. Uh, but but the way it kind of is executed, I didn't uh, think that it was as strong as it could. Therefore, it, it, it let me down. The strengths of everything else, like I, I thought, the the biggest strength of this movie for me was the women. And um, I felt let down in that moment in particular because even though she shoots him and that's a strong moment, I think she could have done a little, something a little bit stronger. Right. I completely agree because when we get to you know Liam Neeson's character, um, like we don't have a lot of character development. You were talking about character development. Yeah, they developed the women well, but they didn't mm-hmm. develop that character well. Um, we know he did uh, all these heists and stuff and he, you know, all these jobs, so to speak. But we... When and we know that he was a very loving man towards his wife. So when we see at the end and she shoots him, and he has like the like the most cowardly response, like I did it to save me. There was no character development saying that he was that type of man who would not think about his loving wife. Um, after they've established so many scenes that they were so in love and he cared for her so deeply, mm-hmm. and then he just like was like, "No, I was saving myself," and I, it just bothered me because we we're like. There, there was no evidence that you were that kind of a dick. Mm. Sorry to say, but you were. Do you think it would have been stronger had she not realized and had the audience not realized that Liam Neeson was very much alive? I, it's a good hypothetical question. I, I, it, it would have definitely been a bigger shock, I think. Um, but as far as still the impact of it, um, and the realization, like, I, I think in this way, it works where she's had time to think this over and she's in a much more stable place knowing that, like, even if he didn't show up at that particular moment, she knows that he essentially lied to her and screwed her over. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the end result, even if she in that moment, I think she still would have shot him, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he shot him and framed him. Yeah. Let, let, let's take a, kind yeah. of a quick step back, though. So. I did not know going into this that this was based on a TV show, right? Uh, yeah. But it was, and it's a 1980s TV show uh, in Britain, good old Britain, um, by ITV. ITV sort of makes these uh, more heady types of shows rather than the BBC. The mm-hmm. ITV also made The Prisoner. Different story. Anyway, the point being, ironically, like... The overall beats of this movie kind of are in tune with the beats of uh, that TV show, even down to the husband being dead but being alive. Yeah. Um, so I think when you talk about pacing, it's interesting because they obviously got a lot more pacing out of it as a TV show. They're condensing it here. Um, so in, in that sense, it should be far quicker. Right. And in television show, you can definitely pace it out because in, this, in the movie, mm-hmm. like one thing happened and then we would skip forward like a week and yet nothing happened within that week. Mm-hmm. And then, like, the next thing happened and we re- actually realized, they're like, it, now you have a week. There was always, like, reminders of, like, you have one more week, you have a month, you have, like, any <laughs> timeline yeah. throughout this film. Um, if you break it up into six parts, which was the, the miniseries that originally came from, you could have, for every episode, that one thing that happened. Like, we got the car in this episode. We got the security codes in this episode. We, you know, we could do, like, the one main event for every week. But when you put it in a film, it just takes longer. Like, well, and it shouldn't, because it should be more condensed. But this film, like, paced it out by weeks, days upon each other, for them to get anything done. Mm-hmm. That's what I found frustrating. Fair enough. Um, so let's kind of break down the various characters, right? Um, at the backdrop of this, they, first off, it takes place in Chicago, which is a departure from the TV show, one that Gillian Flynn rather enjoyed simply because she's from Chicago. You aren't directly from Chicago. No, but I've traveled Chicago a lot. They were on the Blue Line, and that I took the Blue Line train... Three days a week for six months. So yeah. Are you familiar internship. with the 18th Ward? No, no. <laughs> Fair enough. Because I, I would 
probably ride through it. But like the the train that goes outside of Chicago is the Blue Line. Um, that was the one I took. In that so I like I recognized some locations and stuff in some streets that they were on. I was like, yeah, it's definitely Chicago. Um, and I like that because it, it just like a nice callback to me. Well, uh, you know, feel free to throw more examples if you think of them. But Chicago has been getting a you know. In terms of movies, has been used a lot more because of its racial divide and things like that. Uh, certainly, Chirac is mm-hmm. an example of such a movie. I'm trying to think of others off the top of my head. And they're getting um, better tax breaks in Chicago too. That certainly helps, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, but but so I, I guess might as well start there. Chicago as a character. Um, Mina, what did you what did you think of that backdrop? Do you know much about Chicago going into it? I mean, I was born in Chicago. Oh, well, then there <laughs> yeah. you go. But I only lived there for three months, so my memory doesn't like, go then back to like there you new, don't go. newborn days. But no, I have family that lives in Chicago, and I visit like once a year, once every two years. I love it. I think it's a beautiful city. Um, I thought it was interesting that they used it, because I haven't watched a ton of films that take place there. I feel like most of the, the city landscapes we see are either New York City or Los Angeles or somewhere in Europe, like a major city like Paris. But, um, yeah, I don't I don't know. I, I liked it. I don't know what it really added to, like, to the feel of the movie. It definitely did not feel like an L.A. movie or, or a New York movie. But I, I didn't really think much about it when I was watching it. I was, like, more invested in the characters, not necessarily the setting. Yeah. I, what I liked about Chicago is that because I go to Chicago quite often. Um, there, there was that one whole tracking shot where Colin Farrell's character gets into the car and then he has this whole argument or conversation mm-hmm. and you're just following them um, a good like five blocks. But it does show the just the vast difference that you have of the communities in Chicago. You can be in one place and it's luxurious. It's nice. Yeah, You literally go five minutes over and it's completely like um, like a ghettoish kind of rundown type of business. So you, you have like different aspects of communities within a small amount of like space. But that is what Chicago is. Absolutely, and uh, from from that respect, it was a very deliberate shot because it is an odd shot where you're having a conversation, but you're not seeing the characters. You're just seeing the outside, and you're, and you're forced to understand that the camera does not break. Um, and to that point. I think it speaks a lot about Chicago, but to me, I, I think it's no different. You can point to a lot of cities, but I, I'll point to L.A. since it's now one that we, us three, call home. You can go to Skid Row, and it looks like you're in a third world country. Walk mm-hmm. one block away, and you're interact. You're at a red carpet premiere with the biggest yeah. celebrities in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it is that weird dichotomy of, um, and I think it is the backdrop for for this movie of how much do we care. The, the the divide in, in equality essentially both financially and racially and everything else. Yeah, and you saw some, like the difference with um, with why am I blanking on names? Uh, Viola Davis's character that uh, mm-hmm. she, when we see her her luxurious place that she lives that's clearly on Lakeshore. You can see the river right behind her and all that. So like you can tell the difference just in um, class status, and that's also. Like, one of the running themes of the movie is, like, the difference of, like, who's who and who supports who just because on your political or financial status. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let me ask you guys this question. I think it's an interesting getting it from your guys' take. Which woman did you relate to the most? And it doesn't have to be our, our main characters. It could be a secondary character that's a woman as well. I have to remember her name, the blonde widow. Alice? Yeah, Alice. I would say I definitely related to her because there was a, a strength in her character, but also and also like, um, like she was a little soft spoken, but then you could definitely see that there was a strength to her character in the sense that she was like, "I've endured this much. I'm not going to deal with this anymore. You can't talk to me this way." And she was also extremely empathetic, even in the midst of like all the stress um, towards Viola Davis's character. She was extremely empathetic, even though. She was getting crap. Um, yeah, yeah, even though even though she was like that, she could still see things from her perspective, and um, she wasn't someone who wanted to take the easy way out. Like when she's speaking to her mom, she's like, "Oh, I'm not going to do do it this way. Like why? Like 
you know, I get to choose my life. Like, this is my life. I decide it. No one can decide it for me. There was just, like, at first glance, she seems very weak, but I think that there's a, a very underrated strength to her mm-hmm. that, that may go unnoticed at first glance. Okay. So I just felt like I could relate to that. What yeah. about you, Marissa? I, I really liked Belle. She was the, the nanny slash driver. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I liked her because she was athletic. She took no shit. Um, and she worked hard. And and I liked that she added, and she didn't take any crap from Veronica. Um, and I liked it. Like, she came in late to the game, but she was, like, ready to go. And um, I just liked her personality because, like, she had the questions and she also had the tenacity to actually like figure them out and do things on her own. Like no, she she was her own boss, and that's what I liked. Yeah, no, it, it was also great the fact that she did care where where she's hard work, but also her giving money to essentially her boss at the at the salon salon yeah to so she can fully own the the place was a nice gesture that she she didn't need to do, but she understand her role beyond just herself. In mm-hmm. the community, essentially. Yeah. And I liked when she realized that the salon was under Mulligan's money, which is, as we can all believe, dirty money. It's like, no, 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 no. We're, we're going to fix that. So you're not under the thumb of him. Um, I like that. And because she was a hard worker and she did anything she she could for money. She earned it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Got to say that. She earned her money. Even in that one scene where she's sprinting to the bus stop as fast oh, as yeah. she possibly like, can. Oh, yeah. I was like, Avoiding all the cat calls, just going right through it yeah. just to get a babysitting gig. And then the way she carried herself when she was in a situation, um, a job interview <laughs> to yeah. be the driver, just kind of like, even though Viola Davis is the employer, don't talk to me like that. You're going to have to watch your tone with me. Kind of like, yeah, she had that extremely assertive personality, and I think that's the only person who would be a good fit for that driver role. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And one of the strengths of the movie, I think, um, I think rather timely in in today's day and age, is is kind of the strength of women being able to unite uh, when they have, in essence, been wronged by men. Um, Now, what they didn't explore as much was how much they actually did know Versus, like, just kind of argue against, you know, because I remember, um, like, Linda, you know, she says to her mother-in-law, like, I didn't get him into this. Um, So it would have been interesting to see if there was um, a point where she's like, no, you should get out of the game, essentially, versus just kind of going along with it, but acting innocent. Um, But nonetheless, I think the central message um, is strong, you know. Absolutely, and it just makes me question, like, how much these widows actually knew what was going on with their husbands. like Or like how much they, they knew but turned the other cheek in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, because we, I think we get we can gather that one person had no idea. One person knew but didn't do anything about it. And like other people were just like completely, you know. So so we see like the different ways of how the these women viewed what their husbands did for them. Mm-hmm. Um, let me ask you this. The... The mid-act twist of uh, finding out that Harry has a family and a child, essentially a white child, right, mm-hmm. um, with with a white woman. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. What did what did that? How did you guys take that emotionally or or any other way? I mean, I think the one thing that reminds us of race the most in that entire dynamic isn't necessarily Viola Davis, but the fact that they had a child together that was a mixed child that died, arguably because of police brutality and and someone assuming that, the the officer assuming that he was reaching for his gun, even though he's like in a Mercedes, um, it's not a class issue. It seems like a race issue. So that definitely, I think, played a part in, in the sense that I mean, this is a this is a huge assumption, and this might not even be the the motivating factor for Liam Neeson's decision. But uh, in his mind, he might think, "Oh, it might be so much easier just starting fresh with a white family. Like it's it's easier. Kind of like I don't have to worry about these things. I don't have to feel guilty. I can raise my child in a world where they'll have privilege and not mm-hmm. uh, be judged by the color of their skin." And I, it's a fresh start for me. Like I've had to endure all of this with my wife, and it's too much. Um, that's an interesting reading of it, yeah. So I, that's that's kind of what I what I got out of it. I I don't I like 
I agree with Marissa in the sense that we really don't know much about Liam Neeson, like, about his character. Um, I thought it was interesting that this is the first time he's in a role where he's kind of the villain, because <laughs> usually he's the hero saving everyone, and in this mm-hmm. movie he's jeopardizing everyone's life. So I, I thought that was a very interesting role reversal and mm-hmm. putting very famous faces in positions that they're not normally cast in. Absolutely. Yeah, I, can, I agree with that because he usually does, Liam Neeson usually does play the more likable guys, and mm-hmm. I found it frustrating that his character ended up being so dislikable. Also, like, they did an interesting job of, like, setting up that, yeah, they had a son, and unfortunately he died because of the unfortunate accident. Um, but it there was no character development showing that, like, he's the kind of guy who would cowardly lie to his wife and just go off with another family. Like, that kind of came out of blue, and then his justification and reasoning for it um, just did not make him, like, out to be a good man. Like, There's way morally. more there, though. There's, like, yeah. way more that's not being told, that's not being explained. There's more right. backstory. So that was the part where I was like, what is happening? And maybe uh, it wasn't shown for the purpose of kind of creating a more black and white, no pun intended, black and white situation mm. where he's in the wrong, she's someone who's kind of, like, suffered as a result of his actions. Right. And then there was no flashback that he was thinking of, like, another woman in his life. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. like, you're not expecting an affair. Right. Well, I think... I, what's interesting, you know, kind of talk about the... I don't know, miscasting... Not miscasting, whatever. The, the basically subverting norm, let's say. Um, so you had that with Liam Neeson, but uh, Viola Davis was originally hesitant to do the role because she said, like, this part really isn't for me. Um, something that you've talked about a lot, Marissa, in the past is, like, oh, the older man with the hot young girl. Mm-hmm. And it's not, and you know, Viola felt the same way of like, this is going to be Hollywoodized and this is not for me. But Steve McQueen said, no, like, I want this to be realistic. You are the woman um, that should play this. And, you know, he essentially convinced her to do it. Um, and it's not to say that, but Viola Davis is beautiful in her own right. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And she's an amazing actress. Like, his, like both her and Liam Neeson, like, they're they're amazing individually put them together phenomenal um and it's just such a shame that like they didn't put them together that much mm-hmm. or like they could have been together even more than they're like making out scenes whatever they, they were just together enough for us to as an audience to realize they're in a seemingly loving relationship but there's not there's a lot that's not being communicated between each other and you can tell there is a disconnect between those two mm-hmm. I want to ask you guys, what did you guys think her arc was? Because for the most part, she remains very stoic throughout the whole movie. Um, She never lets her guard down in front of anybody. Not even... I mean, the few times you could say when she gets the ring from the driver, she kind of looks around and is frantic and, you know, curses and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But apart from that, I, I don't remember any other moment that she goes berserk, let's say. So what is that arc from start to finish what does she learn what does she gain i think it's what she she um the so like throughout the entire film her character is really under um like people are after her because of her husband um Mm -hmm. and like all of his wrongdoings now she's paying for it so it makes sense that at the end when she finally rids her husband that she's freed of him and all of his problems so that in a sense is like the arc that she no longer has anybody or anything following her. Mm-hmm. Like, she is now free. And I think it all kind of goes back to that one line that she repeats, you reap what you sow, mm-hmm. when she says, I sure hope so. Because in that moment, I feel like that's when her character is progressing and saying, and, and she's telling herself, if I do this, maybe I'll finally be done with all of this like horrible Like, this horrible situation that I just want no part of anymore. Like, I was linked to this man, and I will forever be linked to this, like, mafia realm, whatever it's called, this this gang, um, unless he's dead or unless I repay his debt or unless this, unless that. So it was kind of nice to see, like, yeah, to see her reap what she sowed. Like, she finally got out of it. And, like, by the end of the movie, we kind of see it as, okay, fresh start atoning for whatever guilt she has for things that weren't her fault 
and having the the school library built in Marcus's name, using that money for good, uh, money that is so corrupt and money that is dirty to put back into the community to have an actually actual positive effect. And I think just that like concept of taking something that's dirty and making it good is kind of like her taking her situation that was so dirty and filled with all this pain and getting the best out of it. Because what else can you do in that situation? You can either be a victim and say, this is my life, mm-hmm. I'm going to die this way, or this is my situation, I'm going to move forward in every way possible and never live this type of life again. Yeah. Well, in, in essence, too, it's another way to look at it. The money came from that community. Mm-hmm. It, it got dirtied up, not by the community, but by other people trying to essentially pillage that community. Right. And mm-hmm. so she's just putting it back and, and yeah, and it's, you know, in essence, cleansing it. Right. Laundry. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's great. That's a great pun. Um, laundering, laundering. She's laundering the money. <laughs> yes, indeed. In a better way. Uh, yeah. The movie kind of ends. Are they essentially going to be remain friends? Like, is that's the, she's going to keep that that bond, especially with Alice, who you mentioned earlier, does have that that um, empathy for her. Yeah, I think I felt more of a like a surrogate mother type of relationship between Veronica and and Alice because you can tell that Veronica's more the the nurturing as as you know stoic as she was. She she's more the mother figure and. And all of it, and Alice is the the younger daughter who still needs like some maternal guidance here and there. Um, but you can definitely tell that there was like respect be- between the two um, for what they did and who they are as people. And now that they have newer, better lives, that they actually have a chance to just like generally be friends. And mm-hmm. I like I like that because it seems like a healthy friendship that they could have. Absolutely, I don't disagree. Um, so I want to shift gears and talk about the the political climate of all of it. Um, might as well start with Tom and Jack Mulligan. I thought the two of them were fantastic, and uh, uh, Colin Farrell I thought did a great job as as the son. Um, as far as his fault, like what I'm left with is I want to really get to know him more. And I I guess in some sense, what's what's interesting to kind of learn, although we don't fully kind of tie the bow at the end by by uh, Veronica freeing herself of Harry by shooting him. In essence, she freed Jack as well. Because not only, she she kills Tom so like he's got, he's gone out of the picture. Now Jack can be who he is and now that um, you know, Harry's gone completely too, he's no longer tied to him hmm. uh, through corruption. So do we think that Jack is going to start a new life that he had been hoping for? Or is he kind of going to continue the cycle as his father um, sort of hints at? I think he might get, or like might now he use his newfound power for better because you can tell that he was tired of the old ways of what his father did in politics, and he he didn't want to be his father. He didn't want to do the things that he did. Um, so and or he just wanted to get out, but since he's now in a position of power because people voted for him, he might go a more cleaner route. Mm-hmm. And I like to think that he has like better intentions for how to conduct his business affairs. Anna, yeah, I don't know. I'm torn down the middle with this one. I I'm such an optimistic person that I want to believe the best in him and say, yeah, he's gonna change the city. He's gonna be. Uh, the Batman they all wanted and clean up the city. But just his conversation in, in the car where he's expressing his frustration with people, I mean, that that scene was so cringeworthy in the sense that there's an African-American driver listening to their entire conversation, and it just felt like the, a part of him is so jaded with the system that he thinks that things cannot be improved because he is so jaded by the way things are that mm-hmm. he feels like nothing can be done to reconstruct it and it's something that it's a responsibility that he doesn't seem to want it seems like it's fallen onto his lap so until he can feel empowered like i have the ability to change things i don't like part of me feels like he's not going to change things even though he wants things to be better Mm, that's a shame fair enough i mean it's a good it's a good reading of it and i uh like i said the the movie doesn't wrap things up very clearly for you so you kind of have to make that own make that interpretation for yourself i mean certainly um from the other perspective, Manning 
his opponent. Um, what's interesting is that he wants to get into the race because of, quote, the corruption from uh, Mulligan. Too many M's, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Mulligan and Manning. Jamal. Jamal, yes. Yeah. Jamal. There we Beauty go. Beauty in what? Arabic, as they said. I was like, okay. <laughs> well, it was a good. It was a good something to point out. But yeah, so yeah. Jamal, Jamal, and uh, Mulligan. So with with Jamal, he wants to get into the this game of politics because he wants to do good. But he certainly is not like you talk about corruption. I mean, I I really don't think who's better than the other as, as far as humanity. You right. know, um, and and certainly if, if not Jamal himself directly, um, his little apprentice boy going around beating up cripples and whatnot. Oh man, that that was rough. I just got to say, this is another example of uh, how do you say his name? Daniel Kalua. Cal- Daniel Kalua. Dan- Daniel Kalua, the guy from Get Out, where we see him in a role in Get Out where he is just like in the worst situation ever. He is the victim. Um, He's in a situation where he's completely helpless, and now he's in a movie where he's just the opposite, where he's the one inflicting all of this harm, putting people in situations where they are completely helpless. It was such a crazy role reversal for me to see him portray these two very different characters in in a way that was so believable, where I was like, mm-hmm. I believe that this character is completely evil. Yeah, that's called good acting. It's just, it was incredible <laughs> acting. Yeah, mercy is not in this dude's dictionary. Oh no, no. no. Um, and he enjoyed it. That's the problem. He enjoyed. He really like did. really making people uncomfortable and knowing that he had like he he had in like a power trip every single time he did it. And, yeah. Um, but he was effective. You you got to give him that. Like as and as evil and crazy as he was, he was effective in his methods, and that's why he did it. Well, I think he took it too far, and he, the greed got the best of him. And I think I, I, I kind of take that as a message of it, because the widows were going to give um, Jamal his money, his two million dollars. That's what was owed. They're going to give it to him, but it, he wanted more. He knew there was more to take, so mm-hmm. he's going to take it. You know, it's one thing because initially, like he's doing all this brutal stuff because c- he has to write right the wrongs and he has to keep tabs on veronica specifically you know as he says to her like you got one week but she is she's a woman of her word essentially she's not screwing anyone over uh and he just decides to insert himself too soon mm-hmm. too soon but gets there's an end Right, like, he got his comeuppance. <laughs> yeah. Karma definitely came definitely. back and bit him. Best way possible. Yeah. So, yeah. He Quite was... visually graphic. Not yes. gonna lie. Absolutely. Notice how he wasn't in church. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like Jamal, as, as as bad as he may be, at least, at least there's some goodness in him that can walk into a church without burning up. I think if this guy walked mm-hmm. into a church, he would burst in flames <laughs> yeah you wouldn't be able to even cross the threshold to a yeah. church yes but how about that reverence like how about that reverence playing both sides that's smart of the reverend like i'll give him credit the, the the reverend was also looking out for the best interests of his people and for himself yeah one of the best lines of the movie he gets that phone call Ah, nothing. Just doing my thing, you know, Jesus and all. <laughs> Jesus and all. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yep. Definitely. That. Definitely doing that. Um, any other kind of observation comments about the the plot in general before we move on to production? I think, I mean, it's a pretty easy plot to follow. Spread it out in two hours and ten minutes. <laughs> overall. I guess one last question. Uh, what did you think of the overall heist? You know, when it came down to it. I mean, it didn't feel like a lot of twists and turns. I think their only real um, problem, quote unquote, that they had during it was you know, meeting the father, which yeah. was unexpected, but quickly, and this is going to sound terrible, quickly resolved because they shot him. That was really their only obstacle until um, Daniel Kaluuya's character. But they quickly got rid of him, too. So I felt I mean, like it could- didn't feel like as problematic as it could have gone i felt like you could tell it was viola davis through the mask though like the mask wasn't fully covering well, yeah the eyes, the eyes. For like sure i just gave was like away. what was the mm-hmm. point of all of that <laughs> but well, uh 
Yeah, well, I liked how the code was like, oh my god, the code's not working. And it was that very cheesy. Turn it around. Upside down. Yeah. I, thank I mean, God it was that because I thought, wait. Because for a moment, knowing that he was alive, I was like, did he screw her yeah. to get caught? Yeah. Um, there was a part of me that was like, shoot, like this just isn't the right code. So when that happened, I was like, this is so cheesy. I love it. <laughs> yeah. What's it, when you look at other heist movies, they give you a lay of the land in essence. So you know like how it's supposed to go. Oh, They're, go here, do this. Yeah, and that yeah. way you know as things are happening, if something goes wrong, you're like, ooh, that wasn't supposed to happen. So, so that's what usually builds the tension. You look at movies like The Italian Job or e- even like The Oceans. Or Oceans. Mission Impossible, any type of heist, yeah. <laughs> yeah, whereas this, we really don't, we know, we kind of piece things together. We know it's in the, the Mulligan house and we know that it's a safe room. But even her looking at the map, I was like, wait. I didn't know that that was, was going to be door. behind there. Yeah. yeah. So there was a lot of unknowns as far as and, and breaking conventions of a normal heist movie. Right. So. But also, it did seemingly go smoothly because they were so planned out. They had a full month to plan it out. So and compared to like a mm-hmm. lot of heist movies, like we only have two days to do this, but they had a full month to figure it out. So good, good for them. It went as smooth as it could have gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well. So. So yeah, I think I think ultimately though I would put this more of a drama than a heist movie. Yeah, definitely. Ultimately. All right, so let's let's talk production. Um, so Steve McQueen. A lot of people cite him as um, being able to. He he likes to co- as much as you talk about the p- pacing, Marissa. He likes to compress his scenes as much as he can to kind of like a single shot. Um, and just convey it through one singular action or something like that rather than have to forlong it um, more than it needs to be. For example, like Alice um, is an example of that. You know, we, we get a glimpse into her home life very quickly, and that's all we really need as far as setting her character up. Right. Uh. Um, and some one shots that, I, that like, really stood out was um, when Veronica, Viola Davis's character, is in the bathroom and she's crying. That was like we stuck on her for like two minutes, just like going through her real time reaction to whatever, and then the car ride. So there's a lot of like long takes. Yeah, um, it's good for cinematography. Also, you question it in pacing because like editing does take away the real time to situ- uh, to situations. Yeah, it's true. Well, the original cut of this was three hours. Oh goodness, <laughs> I but- believe that. I believe that. <laughs> yeah, here's the thing. I'm not surprised by that. There are movies, like most movies, when you first get, like, you kind of just want to see it, and so you're keeping a lot of the fluff. Um, and you can, you can usually cut down a movie from its first cut just by trimming a lot of stuff. You don't even have to eliminate; you just trim, and then you're like, "Oh wow, we cut out 30 minutes just by trimming." Mm-hmm. And then it gets mm-hmm. a lot harder. The closer you get to your runtime, the harder it becomes. Like, I always think of Benjamin Button as like the longest movie I've ever had to sit. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, you definitely clearly haven't movies. watched Gone with the Wind. So long. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I forgot about that. Sound That's of music, like the too. longest movie. Um, but a lot, of, a lot of the production team are people that he's collaborated with before. So Sean Bobbitt, I like that name. <laughs> That's the cinematographer. He's been in with uh, 12 Years a Slave. Which So, so in that respect, like uh, in, in other movies as well, but, you know, that movie took place back in 2013. Um, so the fact that five years essentially has gone by without Steve McQueen really making a movie, um, he chooses them carefully, I guess, you know. Yeah, he did. And you have to remember, 12 Years a Slave, like, really gave Steve McQueen, like, um, like the recognition that he deserves as a director because that movie had so many awards, uh, Academy Award recognition and stuff that, like, threw him into <laughs> – um, like a, a better position in in Hollywood, so he can be more selective about the films he now takes on. Good for him. And like Twelve Years a Slave, long movie, also known for a lot of long shots. I mean, like the, there's a whole shot of you see a whole paper burning from beginning to the end, and, you're, and doesn't cut away. So they're like real time of watching certain situations happen, just literally unfold on screen. So they they're they're known for that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and then his uh, his editor as well, Joe Walker, he's been with him for a long time now. What's interesting is that in between this and that, uh, meaning this 
movie and 12 Years a Slave. He's also worked on movies such as Arrival and Blade Runner 2049. Talk about another long movie, by the way. Yeah. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, Both of them. Arrival, especially. That one was... Blade Runner's way well, longer. Blade, yeah. yeah. So That's three longer. hours almost. Um, but anywho, like, it's interesting because uh, that is a portion where, especially Arrival, you're playing with time and so forth. So when you do a lot of these flashbacks, I, I'd be curious to know, like, how much of his skills is now attributed to having done a movie like Arrival, which is an editor's dream slash nightmare. Yeah. But the thing with Arrival, yeah, that was also a fairly long movie, because, but because of the editing, you can't tell. Because they're con- they're constantly jumping back and forth, and but like that was the beauty. Because if it wasn't for the editing, it would give away the whole plot line of what Arrival was, like the whole twist at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, this one is just more linear than what Arrival was. Yeah, more more so than Arrival. I wouldn't yeah. say it's fully linear, but yeah, it's more majority linear than what Arrival was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How did? I- what what did you think, Mina, about the um, storytelling device of kind of using these? Like, we get a lot of exposition through flashbacks. Like, you mentioned Marcus already, certainly um, Veronica's relationship and other parts as well. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that worked overall? I think it did. I, I mean, I love when flashbacks are used because it's a way of justifying current actions and really getting into a character's psyche and understanding, okay, why are they stoic or why do they not emote in a certain way? And, like, with Viola Davis, she's been through so much trauma, like losing her son, that for her, you kind of notice in the way that she emotes that she has to uh, adopt this persona of being, like, quote-unquote strong and, and not really being emotionally expressive because she's been through so much and is kind of hardened and desensitized in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um because if that happened to any of the other characters, not just losing a son, but also being betrayed by someone that you were in love with, I don't think any of the other characters, based on how their arcs played out, would be able to react with such with such like stoicism and also strength of character. Um, so in, in a way, Viola Davis's character is hard to read. I love how... I really do love how the flashbacks were utilized in the film. I just think that there needed to be a little bit more like explanation with things mm. when it came to just Liam Neeson's character specifically. Fair enough. Yeah, I th- I I don't disagree. Um now talking about the music, right? Interestingly enough, Hans Zimmer, so he does the score for this. He originally worked on back in the day on the TV series. Oh wow. Not as the composer, but as an assistant to the composer. Hans Zimmer wasn't always Hans Zimmer, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Uh, well, but, this was back in the 80s. Yeah. yeah. But I think that's pretty cool. The fact, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure he brought a certain wisdom from that time to be able to bring it to this movie, that, that spirit of the same of the TV show into this. What do you guys think of the music? I mean, Hans Zimmer's, he has a certain way of about composing things. Did it, feel, it didn't feel overbearing like a Hans Zimmer score to me. No, no. Yeah, like, yeah. You, you wouldn't say this was a Hans Zimmer film, because there's no like foghorn whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I I feel like the 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 mo the moment I really remembered the music was all during the heist. Me too. I was yeah. literally gonna say that that heist scene where it gets super fast paced. It's like dun, mm-hmm. dun, 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 yeah, because and because you're just seeing them go. They're not talking to each yeah. other. And essentially, like a conversation. They're like do this, do this, do this. It's fast paced and like it builds the tension of what they're going through, especially when they come across the obstacles and the people and then they shoot them but like you really mm-hmm. just remember the heist up until the moment of the car crash yeah of mm-hmm. daniel Kaluuya's character so and I, I even remember her scouting the the place initially during during, during daylight oh, right. everyone's there there's that kind of the security figuring it, out security yeah yeah it's the same sort of beat over and over but it's it's oddly building tension even though um like if they through a metronome, it's the same exact pace. Mm-hmm. I felt my my heart beating faster and faster and faster, which is weird. It's a weird thing to kind of think about that music set at one pace, but yeah. you're speeding up because it was so suspenseful. There was just yeah. something about it where you're like, like even though the music stayed constant, uh, the scene didn't. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and you're expecting something. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So let's talk about. 
where this movie ranks. Um, let's start with overall. Usually we do box office first, then reception, but I'll kind of switch them in this case. Um, so it has a 91% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is very high. Mm-hmm. Very high. Um, as they say, wit- Widows rounds out a stellar ensemble for a heist thriller that mixes popcorn entertainment with a message and marks another artistic leap for director Steve McQueen. Now, conversely, the cinema score is only a B, which, you know, if, if you're in high school, Bs mm-hmm. are great. When you're a movie with a cinema score, B is not great, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Um, so, and, and the Tatometer score is also 65, which is also yeah. not great. Yeah. Um, two completely different numbers. Yeah, so, I mean, right now it has... The Rotten Tomatoes was critics or audience? That was critics. That's critics. Oh, the, wow. T- the tomato the meter. audience is low. Yeah, it's 65 oh, for that. Oh, lower. Oh, low. Yeah. Okay, got it. Yeah. Normally, ideally, like, you you would kind of have both be the same but if mm-hmm. anything else you'd prefer the tomato meter higher than your regular score like mm-hmm. you know as a worst case scenario mm-hmm. what you definitely don't want is critics higher and audience low because critics ain't buying movie tickets yeah and by that point right now 20 million overall gross uh worldwide against the 42 million dollar budget um i also think it's like it's going up a lot against other movies fantastic beast instant family now we're getting Creed 2. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wreck-It Ralph. Like, If it came out a week earlier, I think it would have performed so much better. Right. And this is not a family film. This yeah. is a serious, mm-hmm. maybe take your girlfriend, boyfriend during, out. Yeah, during the holidays. But yeah, this yeah. Is, you do not take the kids to this type of film. Is it a take your girlfriend out? It's like, hey, <laughs> I'm going to watch. I only say that because I saw a lot of couples in my group. So. Oh, my gosh. Just so you know, you know I'm going to kill. Right. And uh, you take over and give me some more money, and that's the way it's going to go. Like, this could be a date night type of movie. This is not a family film, though. Yeah. No. Is it, do you guys think it will build up over time as Oscars? Like, is, is this an Oscar contending movie in it? In a capacity. Not, not as best picture, but I wouldn't be surprised if it like racked up some nominations for like Viola Davis as like best lead actress or something mm. like that. I just can't see it being in the running for best picture. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't mm. see it. I could see it for some things like Viola Davis. I agree with you. Um, I doubt that she would get a nomination for this, but I really love Michelle Rodriguez in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, I don't think the Michelle. best performance, but I think a strong performance within the movie. Yeah, I don't think she's going to get nominated at all for this, but I really did like seeing her in a different light. Yeah, no. The Academy loves Hans, too, so you never know. Yeah. yeah from, maybe for score, maybe for cinematography. Um, they, yeah. like, cinematography, That's they true. got a nominated buttload for 12 years of slave cinematography for all like the technical stuff um i can see technical stuff in this maybe viola davis but honestly i've seen viola davis in other movies and heck even how to get away with murder i think she's better in that film or that television show than she was in this film like this is definitely within viola davis wheelhouse there wasn't any real moment where i was like yeah that is the moment where she deserves a nomination. Oh, yeah. um, so because she is Viola Davis already and she already has the Academy attention, they might also just give this to her maybe as a courtesy. <laughs> but I think she's better in other performances. I don't. I, don't, I think you're right overall. I mean, it just, it'll just be interesting to see who else kind of is in that running. Um, you know, because... They might just be like, okay, well, no one else is better, so we I might as well nominate her. Um, right. So we'll see. Uh, by the way, that was the voice of Jeff. That wasn't me just changing my voice. Jeff is our engineer. Thank <laughs> yes. you, Jeff. It was funny. I haven't seen the movie yet, so I feel like I'm speaking on not a ton of basis. But from what I've gathered, this almost does seem like the kind of movie, now that there are 10 best pictures, that wouldn't slip in for a ton of awards, but maybe slip in for best picture. Just because the Academy does love their good mainstream but socially driven film, like Lion or like, mm. I don't know. I, I haven't seen it, so I can't speak on that. But I feel like more and more the Oscars are trying to acknowledge films with a mainstream bent to sort of appeal to audiences, as long as it has social undertones. I well, I, I mean, by that notion, I mean, I, I don't know how, again, how big this movie will ultimately get in terms of box office i could see steve mcqueen getting a nod perhaps mm-hmm. not i don't think i don't think it's as strong as 12 years a slave 
Um, and uh, to be honest, I think all it really needed was just a slightly stronger ending. Yeah. Like, what could have been the ending that it needed? I don't know. Usually I'm pretty good at thinking on, the, on, on my feet, but i got to really think about this one. Mm-hmm. I'd say, like, more clear-cut what happens to their lives afterwards. You can tell that, like, they started new lives, but are they still in contact with each other other than Veronica and Alice? Um, you know, like, I just kind of wanted to know where their life went after, just a little bit more. I think it's that. And better also- character development with Liam Neeson Harry. I think, yeah, Harry could have said, you know what, he just needed a simple line of, after Marcus died, you never looked at me the same, you didn't want me part of your life, and you know what, then screw you. Like, that, something along those lines, that spirit, I think would have worked. Yeah, some clue that he was thinking about an affair. Yeah. Yeah. So. Without him looking like a coward. Anywho, final thoughts on Widows. Not on Widows in general. But the movie. <laughs> um, interesting heist film, especially because it's told from, like, four female protagonists, which I'm all for. Um, I like that. I just wish there was more character development and just a little bit tighter. Fair enough. And, Mina, you enjoy this movie more so than Marissa. Yeah. Final thoughts. Yeah, no, I definitely enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I thought it was a good movie. Like, I definitely, like, wouldn't mind seeing it a second time around just to pick up on things that maybe I didn't pick up the first time around. Um, I thought that there was a good amount of action, but it's not an action movie. Uh, and I just, I thought it was great character development for the most part. With the, like, not for the men, but for the most part, for the characters that mattered. Fair great enough. character development. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, listen, uh, if one of the goals is to to highlight strong women, then you know what? I think this movie succeeds in that respect. Uh, and it, although it's not, let's say, let's say like the, the best movie movie, um, I'd rather have more movies like this than some of the other ones. So, mm-hmm. anyway, that does it for us. Thank you for joining us. As mentioned, just because the conversation is ending here doesn't mean it's over for you. Please do share your thoughts and opinions. Did you like the movie? Did you not? What did you like about the movie? Where does it rank in terms of Steve McQueen movies for you? All that stuff. Anything you want to talk about, please let us know. And also, you can interact with us more directly uh, at Serafini TV is where you can find Marissa. That's right. At Mina Makes Magic, correct? Yes, thank Look you. Look at that. And I'm at Phil Svitek. Thank you for joining us. Um, Jeff, what the hell is your Twitter? You guys can find me on Twitter at Jeffrey C. Graham. There you go. Uh, so, thank you for joining us. Uh, I've mentioned it on past shows, but in case you're not an avid listener of our show, that's okay. Not a problem. Uh, I am here to tell you that we, with the holiday schedule and a lot of movies coming out, we've got kind of an odd schedule. We're going to be doing four movies next week. Lord knows what we're going to do from then on. There's just movies galore. <laughs> Till the new year so um you know it's a it's a blessing of movies and so i'm sure one of them will catch your interest so do check back in and if you're bored over thanksgiving we've got tons and tons of movies in our rear view window uh which is a i think we might have done rear window <laughs> at some point Maybe. just kidding not really that, that movie's way too old for us to have covered but we have over 500 movies in our library so check those out as you check out new movies this holiday season Bye. From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.